You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling and cousin of the pod, Chris Trevino. And when I say joined, I'm joined in studio for the first time in almost a year. For some reason, we decided to have a little emergency quick take pod. Because guess what, guys? Larry Scott, Pac-12 commissioner, is going to be out. Oh my god, it happened! It happened! Shotgun, how many gifts and tweets did you have about it? Oh my goodness, I, I just tried to find every dancing baby <laughs> gift that I could. You know, that that was the main thing. You know, I, I told Keely last night that I didn't know if I would have anything to say today. Just because my only reaction was, it finally happened, you know? So it, I, I feel like the little pig in the Geico commercial that's... You're weeing all the way home? Yeah, weeing all the way home. Uh, but then I did, took some time, thought it over a little bit overnight, and uh, yeah, I got plenty to say. Of course you do. Not surprised <laughs> by that. Not at all. Chris? I'm just here as a spectator. This is this is Shotgun's day. It really he, is. He's worked hard for this. Uh, <laughs> I just want to let him work. I want to watch him work, you know? That's all I want to do. But I do want to know what your timeline was. I want to, like, a play-by-play of how you found out. What you were you were doing? Late. You were late. Uh, to the news. I was out on a walk and talking to a friend on the phone uh, back home, so about more serious matters. So then when I came home and um, was able to see what had happened, then that's when you got the exclamation points in my first uh, first tw- tweets. It was just, I saw the email and was just blown away. I was waiting for it. And I was like, he's unusually quiet about this. So I was like, maybe you're sleeping. <laughs> I don't know. But then I saw the, the massive exclamation points and I was like, that's what it is. I, That's where I, mean. I thought it was just that he passed out and the ambulance was <laughs> resuscitating him. That was where we had that little like twenty minute. Because it takes a minute to get to his place. You know, you got to pull out the the paddles. You got to get him going. It takes a little bit of time. So I was like, he'll be fine once he comes to. Once they give him those smelling salts, he'll be fine. The this news was the paddles that I needed. You know, oh, oh. So, so deep. That's poetic. Wow. That's yeah. so poetic. Yeah, just recharge me. I was excited the rest of the night. So yeah. I think, you know, 2021, I think it's going to start turning around now. This is his year. <laughs> Shotgun's year. It hasn't been a great start of the year, but I think things are going to start turning around now. Starts with Larry Scott stepping down. <laughs> Who knows? You know, you saw just bad leadership stepping down, being forced out of power. Maybe we'll see Putin or Kim Jong-un, you know, get forced out somehow in the next 24 hours. It'd be great. Shotgun, what was more exciting for you? Your first kiss or yesterday? <laughs> I just want to know. <laughs> just answer truthfully right now. Just answer truthfully. Uh, it's a toss-up, really. Oh, that, wow. He's telling the truth there, and that's wild. <laughs> sorry to his first kiss. That's, sorry. If they're listening. If they're, they're listening, gonna be it's re- weird, so probably dodge a bullet on that one. It's not. You know, my exes just chase me around like crazy, so, you know. Keep that in. I don't think keeping that in. <laughs> Chris just turns to me and raises his eyebrow. Keep that in. <laughs> 
But like I said, this is a special quick take episode, not only because Larry Scott was fired, but we had to react to USC's uh, expected hiring of Clay McGuire, the next offensive line coach. And then we'll also talk about Robert Steiner. I don't think, Shotgun, we've gotten your official thoughts on that hire. He's the new director of football sports performance, so we'll get into that. But as we already alluded to, Larry Scott is out. He was hired. This was crazy to me, even though I've known this. He was hired to be the Pac-12's commissioner in 2009. What were you guys doing in 2009? So, you, it, July? His, his start date was July 1st, 2009. I, would, I was a swim coach, and I was swimming, and then I was preparing to go to my freshman year at the University of Maryland. That Just graduated high school, taking the summer, being a lifeguard. How did we never know that you were a swim coach? I, I was after, but this is when I was still swimming as a competitor, not a coach, but I was in that that. I didn't know you were a swimmer to begin with. Oh, well, it shows how much you know me. But that's what I was doing. I was swimming and tanning and saving people. (laughs) This is a natural course of events for Chris. Shoddy, were you in the old people's home yet? Whoa. (laughs) What? The best part about being in the studio is I can see the reaction. Out of nowhere. Sorry. We normally do this over Zoom or Skype, so you can see the reaction there, too. Got not her as, back. Not lady. as clear, though. Got not her back. 3D. Got her back. Not as intense of a get back, but you still got her back. I was uh, working in a cheese factory. No, not a cheesecake factory, but an actual cheese factory. He you just know. made that up. No. I, He's I, actually mentioned the cheese factory before. On the I've podcast. never heard this. Yeah, the line that I worked on, just shredded cheeses, uh, you know, big bags for, like, great, you know, the great value brands for Walmart or Sam's Club and stuff like that. So I was lifting anywhere from 25,000 to 60,000 pounds of cheese a night. Wait, wait. You were getting that cheddar while making cheddar? I was getting that cheddar while cutting that cheese. Oh, God. Oh, that sounds worse. <laughs> so, yeah. No. Oh, that sounds worse. I know. Never, that's what I was going for. Yeah. You, never make my slogan. I don't know what I'll need a slogan, but never make my slogan. <laughs> Keely, what about you? I was... You're in preschool? <laughs> I think I was finishing up eighth grade. Oh, that's even Going worse. into my freshman year of high school. Shotgun, let's just leave. Oh, I was trying out for volleyball. There you go. Oh, man. I just hope that we can put a photo up of Keely at this time. I think that's what the tweet needs to be. I was, for it to... I was just coming out of, like, awkward puberty. So it was, it was a turn for the better. I got have my braces you, off. Have you come out of that yet? I knew I said, I gave you just <laughs> straight down the middle. It was a heater. If you were ready to hit it. Yeah, no, it was, it was, yeah. Anyway, back to Larry Scott. We'll get back into that later. No, we won't. I mean, it's interesting. That's 11 years ago. Um, you, you know, it's going to be basically 12 years by the time that he, he is pushed out at, at this summer versus, you know, continuing his contract through next year, which is what it was, was for. When most commissioners, you know, this is like a lifetime achievement award when you get to become a commissioner because you get to stay in that job usually for 20, 25, 30 years until you decide that you want to retire. It's not very often that you see you see conference commissioners pushed out. You know, there's general just a general positive uh, vibe about commissioners. That's ge- the general take. You think of like Jim Delaney in the Big Ten, how he elevated that conference and how they make you know so much more money than all the other conferences right now. You think of Sankey and the the impact that he's had with the SEC and them becoming just the powerhouse conference in you know a ton of sports, namely football, and you know you know taking over that that kind of reign when it was kind of a national sport. It's now become a southeast sport, um, and you, you think that's from these commissioners. They had a big impact on that. Where in the Pac-12, you think of all the things that have not gone well for the Pac-12. And that is Larry Scott's legacy. He, he said something, I don't remember which uh, reporter said that, 
you know, asked him what he thinks his legacy is going to be, and he said, you know, I think that's up to other people to to reference. Don't do that. Don't do it, Larry. You better have an answer because if you leave it up to me, I got a lot of stuff to say. <laughs> Shotgun. This is art right now. Art right now. <laughs> I don't know about art, but I think that that the biggest thing with Larry Scott, um, and I'll let you guys jump in because uh, I got plenty to say here, but the biggest thing with Larry Scott is that he forgot that he was supposed to be working for the 12 universities and he instead focused on helping himself. He's the highest paid commissioner. He had the biggest, swankiest office structure and everything in the middle of downtown San Francisco, $7 million in rent a year. He got a giant uh, over a million dollar, almost $2 million loan that apparently has still not been paid back uh, from when he first was hired to be able to move to San Francisco area. So all these things where it's like, you know what? Let me help myself out right here. You know, let me get an extra spa day. Let me let me go on this, you know, take this private jet and fly around. I'll stop by and I'll watch the first half of the game and then I'm gone. You know, I'll talk to reporters at halftime and that's it. I'm done. It was not about, hey, what can I do to help these 12 universities, 10 to begin with. And, you know, I give him credit for the first couple of years where he tried. He made some efforts to try. Then it just seemed like there's a big lull in his tenure where it's like, what did he, what was he trying to do? What did he really do? I mean, there's some positive things in, during his tenure, you know, helping the welfare of the student athletes and, you know, doing things that helped them. But just overall, the conference as itself, it was thought that he was going to come in and try to elevate the conference. And, you know, he had experience negotiating TV contracts, so they would be able to, you know, get a good TV deal. And it was, it was a well-lauded uh, TV deal initially, but the length of it has allowed them to be leapfrogged significantly. Um, and, you know, he helped himself out with a giant salary, $5.4 million the last time it was reported on taxes. And that's 2018. So he's going to make nearly $50 million during his tenure. And what has he got to show for it? The Pac-12 added Colorado and Utah. Did you get Texas and Oklahoma? No. You tried. Good try. Good game, good effort. But no, he, he didn't accomplish pretty much anything. He helped himself. He didn't help the, the conference. And not a single national championship in one of the major football or basketball. Very true. Um, I've actually got down, written down the championships that they did win. So the, this is considering, you know, because one of the things I, that I think is part of the issue is him helping himself is he came from a tennis background. And I think that's why you should expect it, that he was going to help himself, not help the team. He hadn't, didn't play team sports. He didn't play you know football. He didn't play basketball growing up. No, he was a tennis guy. And he was a professional tennis player, ranked as high as 200 and something. Who, you know, upper echelon guy. And making it pro is a big deal, but still, never made it up the rankings. And that's kind of how his commissioner run ran. Uh, he never made it up the rankings there. But this is kind of what you would expect from someone who has an individual sport background. He's a tennis player. He was the chairman CEO of the WTA, the Women's Tennis Organization. He was a COO with the ATP. So he in helped increase the prize money in the WTA, and that was one of the big things for them. But that's what it felt like he was doing in the Pac-12. He was increasing his own prize money. He was increasing prize money for an individual, not helping out the team as a whole. It wasn't a team sport. Um, you know, he got these big bonuses as he furloughed Pac-12 employees. He, do he doesn't know how to be a team player. So you look at the championships that were won, none in football, none in basketball. Pac-12 hasn't won a men's basketball title in, since 96-97. They haven't won a women's hoops title since 91-92, which is crazy to me because you think of Serena and Nesco at Oregon, all the teams they've had. Oregon State's had some really good teams. Stanford was a power for years. 
it's been almost it's been almost 30 years now that they haven't won a women's basketball title. That's crazy to me. They've had no CFP team since Washington in 2016. They haven't. They've only had one uh, Final Four in men's basketball since Larry Scott took over. So the team sports where they've won titles now 11 years. So some of these aren't bad, but taking away the individual sports and taking away the sports where it's just regional, so the water polos, the beach volleyballs. Three baseball titles, three softball titles, three men's soccer. All those were Sanford, though, so that's you know takes it away a little bit. Five women's soccer, one men's volleyball, and three women's volleyball. Those are okay. They're good. You know that you know out of five power five conferences, if you win three out of eleven, that's a solid run. However, if you don't win anything in football, you don't win anything in basketball. The money making sports your reputation is going to you know, take a huge hit. And I think that's the biggest thing that will be left on Larry Scott is that he didn't increase the potential of the Pac-12. He didn't set them up to be really successful going forward. And he didn't win titles. You don't win titles. That's what you remember for. And that's the big thing that we talk about at USC all the time. Uh, you know, the, the Pac-12 is known as the Conference of Champions. Well, those championships can't be all individual titles, and it can't be all, you know, it needs to be the moneymaker sports as well. Let let Shaka cook. (laughs) And that's our podcast. Thanks for joining joining us, guys. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Well done. I agree. He has more. I know he has more. He's not even like. He's just trying to get. He's not even breaking a sweat. I know. He's (laughs) he's just going. And and it's, it's good stuff. I think you mentioned how he didn't even help football. I feel like football and basketball almost decreased it's if their national prominence prominence increased it was because of individual schools kind of doing that on their own and breaking out of kind of the constraints that the conference had put on them like in spite of the conference and I know I've talked about this specifically this season with how USC was kind of set up to fail a little bit with how they didn't they just slotted Oregon in for the Pac-12 championship but it's interesting how this is happening obviously right now because we're just coming off of the 2020 season where I feel like in the college football landscape overall, the nation was like, well, if the Pac-12 plays, they play. If they don't, they don't, you know, I I (laughs) think it was, it was really stark as to how important it was to the greater college football landscape. No one really cared, you know? So I, I thought that was a pretty stark example of how much things have kind of decreased under Scott and how much can you say part of that is due to USC's decrease Um, during his tenure, I don't know, but you could tell this season more so than anything else in the college football landscape that the Pac-12 was just so far behind compared to the rest of the Power Five. So it's just an interesting dynamic there. That's how bad it was that no one was talking about the Pac-12 unless they were talking about it to shit on it. Well, it's a meme. Like, the conference itself has become a meme, and, like, it, the only branding it's really had is because of Twitter and like kind of the jokes that have been made about like Pac-12 after dark. That's not something the conference itself decided to market. It was something that people on Twitter made a joke about that stuck, you know? And like, I guess the other only thing that people will know is, oh, Pac-12 refs. Mm-hmm. Like you're not really known for great things as far as Pac-12 football. Yeah. You're known for the absurdity. You know, yeah. You know, you're, rather than the quality, it's like, oh, something crazy will happen. And this is, you know, this worked well for the Mac when they were originally the first kind of conference to leave, you know, Saturday football games and they went to Thursdays. I remember in high school watching games and you'd be like, oh, Maction's coming on. Something crazy may happen. 
that's what you go to the Pac-12 for now. It's like, oh, late at night on a Saturday, either you've been tailgating or you're just drinking with your buddies or whatever if you're on the East Coast and you go, oh, the Pac-12 might have a game on. Something crazy might happen. What could happen? You never know. It could be, you know, the the conference lawyer calling in and overruling the the officials on the field and in the replay booth and saying, no, that's not, no, that's not a targeting. No, don't do that. And, you know, you could have something crazy like that. You could have, you know, an athletic director like Pat Hayden go down in the field and try to talk to the referees during it. Like it, these things don't happen in other conferences. And that's crazy because you, you should see normally see crazy things happen in, a, in you know, across college athletics. That's not surprising. But it just repeatedly happened over and over in the Pac-12. And it became basically a meme. It's a meme conference. You know, it's Pac-12 after dark. And give I think give credit to the Pac-12 network for finally embracing that. Yeah. You know, make it your brand and, and make it something unique. Um, but that's what to, it that's what it should tell you about this conference is that it became a conference of absurdity rather than a conference of quality. You know, that you should change change the uh, title from conference of champions to something else. And part of that was on Larry Scott. You know, he made bad move after bad move with little foresight. And what I mean by that is, hey, you made the TV deal. And hey, it was a great deal initially, but you were quickly passed by the other leagues. You know, you you didn't find the partners to to give the exposure to the Pac-12 network when you did it. You, you didn't make the deal with Directv, so the the Pac-12 network was supposed to deliver more exposure. Instead, you got you know, especially for the Olympic athletes and stuff like that. That was one of the things they said. Well, hey, we may not make as much revenue, but we wanted to deliver this exposure. Well, you have to be. It was only visible to in your select area. You know, most of the time, unless you had all the Pac-12 networks. So, you know, if you wanted to see Sabrina playing at Oregon, how many of those games were on? Well, you had to have the Pac-12 Pacific Northwest to be able to see those games. You know, so if you're in L.A., you're not seeing that. So are you really giving that exposure to them? No. So you got – and some a lot of the contests outside of football, even some of the football ones, is why there were some issues with the replay and stuff, just poorly produced. You know, they didn't have enough cameras at games. You watch, you know, I, I cover baseball, so you watch baseball, and I want to see Oregon State. They're the number one team in the country. Oh, they have, instead they're playing Utah, a Utah and Arizona game or a Utah and Arizona State game. You're like, why is the number one team, they're playing, it's number one versus number 15 or something. Why are those games not on TV? Well, and even when they are, it's a remote camera that's from afar, that maybe doesn't even have Zoom te- you know, uh, capabilities. So you're like, well, why is there not extra work here putting, being put in? Um, so they didn't you know, invest correctly there, I think. You know, by not having Fox or ESPN, you don't have their camera. You don't have their camera crews out there. I think that's a big difference, just the quality of the uh, events. So if you're going to give more exposure, you, uh, what exposure are you really giving? Well, we see there's a picture on the mound from afar. <laughs> What exposure does this guy have to help him in his draft stock and everything going forward, um, you know, building his brand, all those type of things? You can't even really make out his face on the, the broadcast, you know, unless it's, it's the you know, main game of the week or whatever when they have just, you know, extra games and stuff. So those type of things just didn't, didn't happen. In that sense, how much do you think Larry Scott's whole parody, I know that was something that I think Dan Weber asked him at a Pac-12 championship game, parody over elevating the top programs in the conference how much did that really play into the conference just losing its grasp yeah i was going to bring up the your terrible scheduling that cost their top ranked teams repeatedly you know by either 
giving in to the demands of the TV networks or just not having, again, the foresight to look ahead and say, you know what? Playing a road game and then coming back home and then going on a short week and playing another road game, that's not good for the student-athletes as far as their studies go. Not good for their travel. You know, the body's trying to adjust to the travel and whatnot. So that's why you saw repeatedly those teams lose. So why does US, is USC not make the playoff? Why does Washington not make the playoff? Oregon or Stanford? You know, these teams that were in contention – well, they weren't helped by the scheduling, and they lost these games when they were highly ranked, and that's why the Pac-12 continues to lose, you know, lose uh, kind of ground with the other conferences. Whereas, oftentimes the SEC is like, "Hey, week eleven of the season, everyone play Western Carolina or you know Arkansas Little Rock or something. Give your you know be able to play for a half and then give your guys a little bit of a breather, uh, you know." Just that extra time off where you don't have to put as much emphasis, you know, you're just not having that extra contact or whatever it may be for players that it was a bit of a reprieve. You didn't see that in the Pac-12. The Pac-12 was like, hey, week 11, let's try to make this more difficult for you. Oh, USC, you want a bye week? We'll give you one after your regular season concludes. You know, play play 12 games straight and then we'll see about getting you a bye week. Now it worked out a little bit for USC in that fact that they were able to rest before the Pac-12 championship, but you know, going through the grind, maybe that's why, you know, they weren't undefeated going into that because of the grind going through it. You never know. And it didn't help Larry Scott that USC got sanctions and, you know, struggled to be the USC of old. That definitely did not help him. It didn't help that Oregon, you know, struggled after Chip Kelly left. Those two things really, you know, hurt his potential there. But he also didn't help those teams out with yeah. the scheduling or anything, whether it be creating marquee matchups or, or whatever it may be. He never pushed for the expansion of the playoffs this season. And, like, he tried to rewrite this. I read one of the articles, and he was like, oh, yeah, I thought this year was the best year that they could have done it, you know, just with so many crazy things. Like, why were you not constantly pushing for it then? You should have been standing on the table, literally standing on the table. No, and I, and I know from sourcing that USC tried to get Larry – kind of had to push him in that direction to go and say, hey, can we – I know they tried to get timing the playoff committee push back, that mm-hmm. final uh, committee meeting, be, to give USC more time in theory. And then they were asking, hey, can you ask for an expansion? And Larry was like, uh, not sure, according to USC sources. So you never know. Can't talk to Larry Scott and get that side of things, even though it sounds like he's painting a better light for well, himself. He, but he, Yeah, he said in the past, he's like, oh, you know – when it was announced that USC was, I mean, I mean, not USC, when the Pac-12 was coming back and someone asked him. I think it was know, Andy Staples. Yeah, and he was just like, oh, you know, I think I think everyone there seems to be settled on four right now. Why? What are you doing to try to unsettle that? You know, change, make some change. No, he never pushed for expansion. You know, he claimed the Pac-12 was a media company. Again, go back to the exposure and, you know, the poor production don't give me that bull crap. I mean, that's why they were quote unquote in San Francisco to begin with, because they were supposed to have, you know, be close to all the tech companies and be innovative. And none of that really happened. Yeah. I mean, the, the one, the craziest part to me in the, the um, release that was sent out was his list of accomplishments. Are you shitting me here? <laughs> wow. Like really? Like look at the list of accomplishments. And one of them, when one of your list of accomplishments over 11 years is created a new logo. Damn. What? <laughs> like, that's one of your accomplishments? Like, hey, the, the logo looks pretty sweet, but you had to create a new one because you added two teams. 
which you probably paid like three million for uh, <laughs> someone to make for you, like a marketing firm. Like Pac 12s calling? Oh yeah, just just charge them up, charge them up. We'll just we'll just add something in there. There ain't no difference. So a couple other things that were in the accomplishments: help deliver changes that transform the conference into a modern 12 team league. Well, except you missed out on Texas and Oklahoma and had to settle for Colorado and Utah. You know, getting the Denver market is good. Getting Salt Lake City, that's positive. But it would have been a lot different with Texas, Oklahoma. And, hey, who knows how things are completely different if that's the case. Because, uh, you know, I, I think in this question for you guys, how, how different do you think it would have been if Texas comes in, if Oklahoma comes in with the money and resources they have, but also the amount that they're going to push for change? And that's one of the things, and maybe this is back on USC and, you know, their their uh, administration prior to the one currently who has pushed Larry Scott for more things, uh, but, you know, just kind of accepted everything. You know, how much do you think that Texas and Oklahoma may have changed things and forced Larry Scott to do some different things? Yeah, like you just mentioned with the previous uh, USC athletic administration, it was a kind of a perfect storm of failure on that part because, like you said, they weren't going to push for it. They were, they were happy with the with the status quo, the, the shitty status quos that USC had. And now this new one has kind of been pushing, pushing, pushing more like Keeley just alluded to. So in that sense, it was a terrible match for USC. And if Texas and Oklahoma had come in, um, yeah, I think you would it, they would have kicked USC in the pants a little bit more as a fellow blue blood to, hey, help us out here. You're USC. You're the king of the West Coast. Help us. We don't need – you should be leading this, not us. The two uh, uh, southern Texas area schools help us out. So hopefully that would have kicked them in the pants a little bit more. But who's to say they also would have been like, man, it sucks here. Let's, let's go somewhere else. Let's go see if the SEC wants, wants, wants a little bit of us, a little bit of Texas barbecue <laughs> and Oklahoma barbecue. I don't know I what Oklahoma barbecue too. Okay. Yeah, I think it would have helped maybe change the, the narrative a little bit, but I also think it could have backfired horribly, and then we would have seen a couple of big schools be like, let's get out of here. But maybe that puts pressure even sooner, you know, yeah. on, hey, Larry Scott, you need to make some changes or whatever. Um, you know, the, one of the big things was how separated he was from the universities. Like, he didn't communicate well, and that's one of the big things that a lot of people have said during his tenure. And he's like, he said in one of our articles yesterday that, you know, I really worked on that the last year or so. It only took you a decade. Only took you a decade but before even you. Then yeah. I, I I don't know about that because I, I think this season was really a microcosm of just the overall Larry Scott issues because none of the schools knew about the Quidel testing announcement. <laughs> they didn't know that was going to be a thing until it was announced. And if you're going to kind of parade that you did something for your schools, shouldn't they know before you start the presser? Like that was something that they didn't really know. And then if you look at the gap of time between getting testing. And kind of getting things off the ground, you had USC players talking to Gavin Newsom. You know, that's something where Larry should have been from the start after that first Quidel press conference. So to me, it's such a microcosm of he just kind of took a back seat exactly. for the conference. Like it wasn't an uh, aggressive, proactive uh, commissioner who wanted to really improve the conference. It was kind of just like, if it happens, it happens, you know? And if you're going to be paid that much money, that's not. That shouldn't be your attitude at all. That's a good Pac-12 logo. If it happens, it happens. <laughs> I think we just got it. I mean, you look at it and you go, yeah, I'm making over $5 million. Does it really matter? Do we want to rush this, guys? Do we want to rush this season? Because then if something bad happens, then you have more stuff to actually have to do. Whereas he can be like, hey, if everything's on hold, I'm still getting paid. 
and I don't have any issues. You know, there's no big, you know, big concerns for me right now. I don't have to worry about a, or is there going to be testing all the, you know, if there's, you know, if there's no action going on, I'm still getting paid. I'm chilling. Yeah. And that's what it felt like with him. Most of his tenure, you know, there were some things where USC tried to be proactive. They tried to, you know, they launched a major initiative in Asia and China but again, you know, that's one of the things. It, yeah, exactly. Both of you just look to the sky like, wait. Breaking news. They? And they have an annual game, pre-pandemic. They have an annual game, basketball game there. But who knows about that? I Even, only know that because Pac-12 Media Day. Yeah, and people in this in this room who cover Pac-12 uh, team don't know your, about your own initiative because you never built up, you know, this to be something to grab national attention. Like it should have been something they played up. You know, they play, I think they played the game in Australia, right? Right? Cal played a, a oh, football right. game in yeah, Australia. Yeah, yeah. Was that the thing where LeAngelo got busted for shoplifting? That's one of the. the oh, the, uh, there you go. That's one of the China trips. So they were doing an annual basketball game there to you know open the season, but you never heard about it until LeAngelo Ball. You know, when something bad happened, that's the first you really heard about. Like, wait, why are there teams in China? What, why is UCLA in China? Exactly. No one knew, and no one knew from a national standpoint. So don't say you launched a major initiative when you sent some teams across the, the ocean, but you never built it up. You know, it should have been like this big thing, like, oh, you know, a lot of hoopla, try to get all the national media really buying into it. You know, this should be a marquee game. Instead, it was like Utah and Colorado, you know, playing in one of the games. And it's like, yeah, those are solid teams, but they have no national, you know, no national flair. No one really cares that much about them on a national perspective. Whereas if you talked like Kansas into coming out or North Carolina or Duke, like sure. let's do this as a combo uh, with UCLA. That's a big game. Yeah, obviously in basketball, if you can talk, you know, one of your programs into doing, even if it's considered an exhibition. You know, for for football, if you can have a spring game over there or something and you bring out another team, you know, you bring in a national. There's so many different ways that could have done it that would have really potentially, you know, helped them as a, you know, as a national brand and eventually as a worldwide brand. That's the the idea behind that. So that's another one of the accomplishments. that's not really the Pac-12 networks. I talked about this, but objectives went beyond revenue generation to emphasize exposure for women's and Olympic sports. Except if you wanted to be exposed to any of those athletes outside your local area. You know, that, if that's your accomplishment, that's not very good. You know, they helped lay the foundation for a strong valuation of those rights in the next round of negotiations by not winning any championships. So how strong is that valuation? You know, if you're coming off three straight, uh, this is the premier college football program, three straight national championships, something like that. You know, they've won three of the last four. Uh, you know, if you had Gonzaga, you're like, oh, you got to – premier team that's won a national championship that's in the running every year those are type things that you can sell in that you know that uh negotiation instead you're trying to sell usc hopefully they come back ucla basketball they've been okay they've been up and down arizona's on you know they're on suspension right now what are you really selling that next valuation so tell, don't tell me you know really help the foundation for it that list had big chris out of college stretching out his his resume for jobs that that's what that felt like and i feel attacked and a little ptsd hearing her hearing these words come out of your mouth and two two more on the accomplishments created two football divisions nice okay congrats you got 12 teams you suddenly you have to do that but they don't even align geographically this is my the pac-12 north and the pac-12 south except some of our teams are further south in the north than some of the northern teams in the south. 
That doesn't make any sense. You know, if you have to do legends and leaders, some crap like that, like the Big Ten, just don't, you know, semantics are important. Don't say that it's a North division when you got teams from the South. Don't say it's a South division with teams that are farther North. So that was a big issue for me because I, I, I like geography. You know, I think semantics are really important. So Big geography you, guy over here. Say what you mean, mean what you say. And the last thing in his list of accomplishments, the institutions agreed to equal revenue sharing for the first time. Hey, that's great for Oregon State. That's great if you are in Pullman, Washington. However, that's not so good for USC, UCLA, even Stanford Cal, uh, you know, Washington and Seattle. You know, you look at the conferences and some of the conferences do, you know, the the Big 10 and the SEC do this. Uh, the Big 12 does not because Texas is so much more valuable than Kansas State. Why would can why would Texas ever agree to that? That's bad for USC. They shouldn't have done that. You know, and and part of that kind of goes into the question you asked about the parity. You know, I think when he goes, oh, we can get equal revenue sharing, then hopefully all our teams are kind of equal. And that's not how you build the brand of the thing. You know, you don't want all your skills to be exactly the same as an individual. You want to have some really good things you're at, and you want to work to improve your bad things. But you still want to have those really good things, not try to bring down your your good skills, your good teams in the conference. To at the the you don't want to bring up the bottom teams at the expense of the top teams, and that's more what the the Pac-12 was about. So those were his accomplishments. So if those were his accomplishments, oh my goodness, the list that they could have wrote out about his failures. Whew, I think I think we cover most of it, but you know I, I think it's it's. It's good riddance, I guess, you know, and I don't, I'm not normally one to call for someone's job, but Larry Scott, I was continuing about it because he was making so much money and not improving the product. And especially when you get a big bonus as you're furloughing other employees. So, you know, he's made plenty of money. He needs to go off right off in the sunset or wherever. I'm excited about these uh, professional and personal opportunities. Yeah. You're excited about that because they said, dude, you got to get the hell out of here. And like, well, you know what? Now I got time for that uh, crocheting I wanted to do or whatever. Not that he didn't have time before because what has he really done? I think the most mind-blowing thing is that he was the most, the highest paid. It's crazy. Commissioner. Because we're a media company. Bro. Bro. We'll get him on DirecTV or have one network and you know really play up all the different things where if you're a media company, you really failed at it. So why you should have been fired a long time ago as a media company boss. Keely's gonna hate me, but shotgun. Oh no! You have just been hired as the Pac-12 commissioner. It's your first in office. What are your first, the first three things you need to accomplish? What are top three? Try to be as quick as possible. <laughs> I know it's gonna be a thirty-minute uh, <laughs> no, talk about this, but what are your fir- the first like three things you need to accomplish as commissioner uh, shotgun? I think the first thing is you you got to work on the network, the Pac-12 network. You need to figure out if you need to partner with another company um, or if you, you know, figure out a deal with DirecTV. Even if you're not making as much money as you want, this goes back to um, the objectives went beyond revenue generation to emphasize exposure. <laughs> what? Get it on DirecTV then if you want exposure for the women's and Olympic sports. You know, if it's not about revenue generation, then take a little bit less from DirecTV or whatever, you know, the the um, negotiations were there and get the get it out to so many more subscribers, potentially. You know, you got to figure out with the Pac-12 networks, the whole thing with the regional networks and, you know, just replaying 
the USC UCLA games from the last five years. You know, that's on all the time on Pac-12 networks. Maybe I want to see some live sports of volleyball or whatever other sports come up. You know, so it, it that's one of the biggest things to start with that. You got to push for playoff expansion. You know, obviously you're being left out. You're behind right now. You need to be catching up. If you want to be a power five conference, then you should be pushing like, hey, our our champion should be in regardless. If we go to the playoffs and we suck every year, that's fine. Notre Dame does it and gets, gets away with it just fine. They get that much more money for the ACC and for themselves Damn. by doing that. Um, but, you know, you can be a joke in the playoffs, but if you're winning a lot of games, there's going to be a lot of hype, a lot of buildup, a lot of more exposure, a lot more money coming in for Notre Dame as they've gone through this process. So the Pac-12 needs that. You know, you have that ability just to be in that competition. Hey, nobody was beating Alabama this year. But you need to be able to put a team in the in the uh, playoff. And if that, you know, if you the best way to do it for the Pac-12 is to get an automatic bid. And it would help with recruiting, like keeping your big-time mm-hmm. kids on the West Coast home, which are being poached by everybody else if you can point to hey we're getting the uh, the playoffs every year that's that's a lot of that means a lot to the kids out here so they want to be able to compete on that level so that would really help and keep it keep it keep west coast kids on the west yeah and i think that's a big thing you know recruiting i would dive into recruiting to try to help out the conferences because of the exodus that you've seen not just from southern california with usc struggling but the exodus from the west coast of all the players that you saw you know, in that in the playoffs, you know, all those guys that you saw performing and producing. Hey, you're going to see some guys go across the country. That's going to happen. It, comes, it happens both ways. You get your Leonard Williams and your Nelson Aguilar's from Florida. Uh, the same way that you're going to see some LA kids go across the country. Some kids want to leave, but find a way to keep those really talented kids in school. Find a way for you know basketball. Can you can you find a way to get those kids? You know, they had a number of top ten. Uh, top 20 recruits this past year. Can you find a way to talk them into staying an extra year? Or a guy like Jalen Green from from uh, Napa who decided to go to the G League. Can you sell the Pac-12 better? What can you do to help out the schools get more talent? I think that's a big thing. So I would go to all the presidents, have the meeting, and say, what can we do to help you out? That's the big thing. What can we do to help you out? That would be my first you know, conference call, um, as well as trying to – college ball playoff is huge. And then – the the Pac-12 network. You're hired. <laughs> when can you start? I, I will take that five million dollars. I will take. I'll take a pay cut from Larry whoa, Scott. Whoa, 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 whoa! It's not gonna be five million. I'll take two and a half. Deal. Sucker. <laughs> <laughs> so, I thought what I thought was interesting was that ESPN's Kyle Bonagora talked to Larry Scott last night and. The noteworthy quote he got was that it became clear in the very first conversation last week with the Pac-12 presidents that they were feeling like a new direction would make sense. So at least the Pac-12 presidents got to a point where they were aware that a change needed to happen. That was something where that didn't happen. Now there's a lot of new people. I think there's only a couple, I think two presidents left when Larry Scott first came on. So I think that's why you see that change. It appears that Oregon UW and Washington State, their presidents will be leading the search why is no California school in this series? Exactly. That's my biggest issue. No California school at all. It doesn't have to be USC, but you know I really trust you know the Stanford. They have really good leadership there, and you know their AD uh, Bernard Mir is is one of the you know potential targets. I think that they should look at. Um, but why is no one from Stanford or Cal or USC or UCLA in the conversation? That's I don't understand that at all. You're taking one school in a metro area. 
you know, Washington being in Seattle. You're taking, you know, two places that are in the middle of nowhere. And, and, and hey, that's not the biggest thing. But I think that that, you know, it just shows you that all the power right now is up in the north. You know, where is the why is the Pac-12 South not have any representation here? Um, you know, why is the UCLA's uh, UCLA's president is one of the two that remains from when Larry Scott took over? Why is he, you know, if he's one of the longest tenured, why is he not on this? You know, that seemed like an obvious addition to this uh, search committee. So I was, you know, uh, when I first saw it, it's like an executive committee, including, and then I realized that it was just those three. And I was like, wait a second. What? First, I was like, why are they just listing three? If it's including these, like, oh, we're going to include these three and maybe some other people or what. But then I realized that it was just those three. And it's like, what? This, it just doesn't make sense to me. I agree with everything you're just saying. But to just be a little bit devil's advocate, because I do agree that USC and some of these other schools should be involved, make that committee a little bit bigger. But this is uh, John Wilner made this point that at least that committee is not pushing, but involved with football. You have two of your bigger programs in Washington, Oregon, and Washington State's uh, president, Chancellor. He is on the college football playoff board or something like that. Uh, I don't know the exact title, but at least these people are involved. They, they, they seem to care about football because that's two of the bigger programs in the Pac-12 and then someone who is involved in the college football playoff committee. So that is a, a good sign, but you would like you know, USC or the, some of the bigger metropolitan schools to be involved in that. I think that's a, good, that's a really good point there. But again, I think keep them, add someone from the Pac-12 South or at least from California, whether it be one of the two northern schools or the southern schools. Just, it just seems like just especially with the footprint of the Pac-12 and how wide it is that I, I feel like you need someone from, you know, Southern California or from California that can have input about how, you know, this president, the new president coming in should be able to, or commissioner, excuse me, should be able to help the conference as a whole. Larry said early in the week, do we think that means the second he walked into the room and everyone was just looking at him? He's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm out. As soon as he opened the Zoom, yeah, he like, was like, oh, these faces do not look right. And we'll see what direction they decide to go in. Um, I think, you know, the, the consensus is that someone needs to have a football background because the Pac-12 has fallen so far behind. That's one of the biggest things. Uh, there's been some interesting names thrown out. I don't know if you guys have any front runners so far. Just to start off with, Shotgun Spradling was my front runner. But if you want <laughs> a lesser front runner, maybe Oliver Luck has been thrown around a lot. I know you're big on that. I know it's been already poked fun of that it makes too much sense. So you, they won't probably do it. Uh, I believe Bruce Feldman made that joke. But I think Oliver Luck, if you follow college football, even pro football too, you, you've heard that name. And he seems he's well, really well respected. And I think it would be a home run hire to get someone like that to lead your conference. And the question with him will be, is he interested? Um, you know, he was most recently the commissioner of the XFL. You know, how does that contract situation? Because there were some issues there. Um, you know, how does that get settled? You know, does he want the job? But I think he's, you know, obviously he has AD experience. He knows the value of football, you know, being the XFL commissioner as well. He also, you know, knows the Pac-12 from his son, who some of you guys might have heard of. Maybe. He's that Colts guy, right? Was that Colts former, guy? That's former why, that's Colts That's why I said was. Hello. You didn't say was. I did say was. <laughs> he's. You said he's. You made a contraction. Oh. <laughs> didn't mean to do that. Grammar got her. No, he's that Civil War guy. Oh, oh. I missed that. <laughs> that's the guy? 
Yeah, so Andrew Lux, uh, you know, is his son. So he knows, you know, he's seen the Pac-12 from, you know, different angles, you know, as a, as a parent, as a competitor, you know, being the AD at, at West Virginia. So I think he's an interesting choice. You know, he's a guy that I would definitely kick the tires on. Uh, the Stanford AD, as I mentioned, Alabama AD Greg Byrne is a name that's been thrown out, which is interesting. You know, he knows the power of football, you know, being at Alabama, obviously, and extending Nick Saban's contract. He also really knows the Pac-12. Um, you know, he went to school, I think at Arizona state. Um, and then he's worked at Oregon and maybe Oregon state as well as being the AD at Arizona and really elevated Arizona. I think with some of the hires he made there, uh, the Kevin Summer one, maybe notwithstanding, I think he made that one. Uh, but, uh, maybe he had the rich rod. No, he had the rich rod one, which I thought was going to be a workout and may have, if there wouldn't have been off the field stuff. Uh, but you know, their baseball hires were really good. They won national championships uh, under him in baseball there. So, you know, he's an interesting name there. Would he want to leave Alabama and everything's kind of rolling well for him there? The basketball program's doing much better there. David Shaw was a name that, that Michael Lev, uh, you know, former USC beat writer who covers uh, Arizona. So he knows the Pac-12 really well. I th- that would be a really interesting name. I don't know if David Shaw has any interest in moving that. Just because he's such a thoughtful person, and if you hear him talk about anything yeah. other than, you know, on-the-field stuff, when you hear him talk about the COVID stuff and everything else, he's just really thoughtful with everything and how he approaches things. Um, so I, I think that's a really interesting name. If you, but that's that that's the one where you know the college football, and I think he's a you know could eventually do it really well. But it, that goes back to like USC hiring coaches that don't have a pedigree already. You know the Pac-12 needs to find someone who has a pedigree, knows what they're doing, not someone learning on the job. So maybe David Shaw is not the best idea, but that's an interesting name. And then one that's been thrown out by USC fans is David Baker, uh, who was the father of Sam Baker, the former offensive lineman at USC. He is the president of the National Football Hall of Fame and has really elevated the Football Hall of Fame in Canton uh, since he's taken over that job. He played hoops at UC Irvine, former politician in Southern California, so he knows how to, you know, be able to talk to people and get things done. That's someone who Dan was really high on. He he always threw that out as an option. And he he was the commissioner of the Arena Football League as well at their height. You know, he was able to get fans to the Arena Football League, which I think is really interesting because you know, there's been a big thing about oh, fans aren't interested in the Pac-12. There's just, you know, there there's not that uh people don't care out here on the West Coast. I think he's a guy that could really elevate the fan interest with some of the different things that they could do and, you know, some of the initiatives that maybe he would kind of, and he's, he's just a super imposing figure. So he would get his way at some of these college football meetings. You know, if they're, if Larry Scott's on it, yeah, tennis player, I don't care. Sam, Sam Baker or David Baker, excuse me, Sam Baker, his son is small compared to him. Sam Baker was an offensive lineman at USC and in the NFL. David Baker is six foot nine, 400 pounds. He is a hulking of a man. So, if you have him in the, in the conversation and, you know, the college football playoff doesn't want to expand, like maybe he just puts his hand on somebody's head and says, no, you're going to do it. He does the Bane thing where he puts his arm on your shoulder. No? No one? Don't. Know I, that I one. don't. Think of that I've reference? seen it, but I don't remember that reference. You think this gives you power over me? <laughs> Did Bane become Italian? <laughs> you think this gives you power over me? <laughs> there. You like it? Yeah. Happy? Happy? All well right. done. Those are some of the names that have been thrown out so far that I think are, are kind of interesting and, and each have different merits there. Uh, Oliver Luck is still my front runner, but I think David Baker is an interesting one to keep an eye on and you know, a couple of the, the sitting ADs as well. Greg Byrne would be very interesting 
to me when I saw it pop up on Twitter just because of what he's done at Alabama. You know, he's got it. He's living it up right now. He's got the best. He's helping run the one of the best teams in college football, letting the best head coach of all time do his thing, just rack up natties. So I think, but it would be interesting to look at the Pac-12 and be like, this could be very good for my legacy if I helped rebuild mm. this. It's like you buy this old, decrepit house, and this is going to take a lot of work. But if I do it and I pull it off, it's going to be the most beautiful house on the block. People are going to come visit this house all the time. And it would be a legacy project to rebuild the Pac-12, make it uh, respectable again among college football. And I think that would be, I think that's a, that's a selling point. I think you could be like, help us turn this around, bring us, bring us to the promise, like get us, get us back up into the national prominence. So I think that's a selling point. And I think for Greg Byrne, that might be you know, something to take a, take a look at a little bit more. USC fans might find it, you know, his name interesting just because it came up, you know, when USC was going through their athletic director searches the last two times. So he's a guy obviously with a bunch of PAC 12 ties, and has shown at Alabama that he could go across the country and it, you know, you know, make things happen, you know, to help that program elevate to where they were back competing after a couple of years where you know Clemson had pushed in front of them, you know, coming back and you know Nick Saban wins his seventh. I think on the whole, you need someone who's coming in from the outside who's gonna instantly bring a seriousness to the conference. You know, I, I think you need someone who's going to be like, this is how we do it. This is, this is how successful people do it and kind of add a, a more we take this seriously vibe than, oh, okay, we, we like it. If it happens, it happens. You know, I just think the seriousness will help elevate the Pac-12. It, that's what the presidents want. And that's the biggest key is that it's not the athletic directors, it's the presidents. And the presidents come from such a different mindset than just athletic directors where their only thoughts are for the most part, sports, you know, presidents come from the world of academia. And you saw that in their response to COVID Pac-12 was probably the most careful conference out of all of the power five. And so they're going to have a, a more headier uh, approach to this in that sense. It's not going to be strictly sports focused. So that's something to keep in mind with this search because it's the presidents and not the athletic directors. It's a very good point. And, you know, it, it'll be interesting each of the candidates that we've discussed, and there's other candidates out there, um, you know, some of them have different backgrounds, and you like the. I really appreciate the guys that have, um, that have team sports backgrounds, just because you're coming from someone with an individual sport background, and you saw how individualized things ended up being instead of focusing on the team as a conference as a whole. You're really buying into that. It will. It, it's what it, I think. It's a great point. I when he was. Uh, cutting up Larry with the tennis. <laughs> he wasn't yelling his voice. He wasn't raising. wasn't even insults. He was just cutting a man down. <laughs> cutting a man down using psychological analysis and history. And I mean, breaking him down. It, it comes up because you, especially in California with all the discussions about sports and high school athletics not being able to play right now and, you know, the value of team sports and being able to play, you know, in high school and on, you know, the team building and all those qualities that it gives you for life and when you come from an individual sport it's much different so I, I think that someone with a team sports background you know would be an added bonus for sure for the sake of trying to keep this a quick take podcast i don't know if we can even i'm gonna let you that. guys talk a lot more in the <laughs> second half of the podcast i mean this was your your thing i mean you've been a staunch 
hater of Larry Scott on the Family Feud podcast. So this was your moment. This was your day. I mean, the, he's really struggled dance. at his job. The so. picture on the site when we put it up is going to be you. It's your face. <laughs> it's just going to be you. Shotgun Being says. Excited. Exactly. Now, I talked on Wednesday about USC's expected hire of Clay McGuire. Oh, didn't even mean to rhyme. So I'm going <laughs> to toss it over to you guys because I feel like I talked about it a lot and I'll just jump in when you guys want to. But first off, what were your overall thoughts or first impressions when uh, that name came up? Like first initial is two clays are better than one. <laughs> Should I leave? Should I leave? Yes. Okay. So I wonder how USC fans would feel about Don't think that is a... And kind of looks like him. I no. did not see what he looks like. Not at all. I've seen what it looks like, but I didn't. If you do one of those things where you morph them together, it's look. So you've already done that, is what you're saying. Look, did I download a program where you could do that? Maybe, <laughs> but I'm just saying. I just wanted to galaxy brain this a little bit. I want to shout out Gerard Martinez because I was literally on the phone with him when the news broke, and maybe ten minutes before he was like, "They're just going to hire Clay McGuire." He literally said that on the phone, and then I and then I got the notification. I was like, "You were right." They did it. It's Clay McGuire, Texas State. I don't think it's a bad hire. I, th- I think it's a good fit. You know, I think that was the biggest issue with Tim Drevno. You know, we've seen him produce NFL offensive linemen at Stanford, at USC, at Michigan, at you know, at USC again. But I don't think it was a great fit as far as knowing the offense, knowing what to do. Jinx said that in the LA Times article that you know the the next guy they bring in that they wanted to have that good fit. So I think this is a better fit for USC. I think you're putting your, all your eggs in, in the Graham Harrell basket, basically, uh, and saying, you know, this is your hire. You you go find the guy that you, you feel comfortable with that can can teach this offense with, with you. Um, and it's going to be an interesting dynamic, you know, their relationship, how they've gone from, you know, Clay McGuire's not that much older than, than Graham Harrell. Um, he would, uh, as Chris, you said that he was, they played at the same time for one year it was very briefly but it looks like they lined up his senior year at texas tech in 2004 matches up with uh harold's redshirt freshman year when he first got on campus so it looks like they were on the same team together as as teammates okay so they were on the same team for one year and then mcguire was a grad assistant on that team later um so he's gone from peer to coach to peer again because they were on the same washington state staffs together uh, and then now it's going to be Graham Harrell's boss, basically. So that's going to be kind of an interesting dynamic to, to see how that kind of plays out. McGuire um, has produced some offensive linemen at Washington State. They had some really good offensive linemen there. Uh, Andre Dillard you know, was a first-round pick, uh, went to the Eagles. So I think that he's shown that he can produce in this offense. There's some concerns, obviously, when you hire a, a specific type of coach like that. Um, there were some issues with them, you know, giving up a bunch of sacks when he was there. And then a couple years later, I think that, you know, they didn't give up many sacks, but that can be on the quarterback and how much, you know, Gardner Minshew can get rid of the ball versus, you know, whoever's there before that. So there's some, it's an interesting hire. It, you, you look at it and I think it's a good fit for USC, but you also look at it and you compare it to Alabama. You gotta, because these are the two championship programs and I, I tweeted this, and it's got a, a, a ton of responses. And I didn't respond to these because I, I know how it was going to be viewed. But also, I just wanted to point out, Alabama, I said, reloads its coaching staff. They get the Jaguars' former head coach as their offensive line coach. USC retools its coaching staff with the former Bobcats' offensive line coach, which is 
a you taking a head coach from an NFL team versus pulling an assistant from a Sunbelt West team. I just think that's such an oversimplification of the whole process. But I, I think it's a good a note to point out Alabama versus USC, just because those are the two teams that were vying for the most national championships and where their programs are at right now. Well, they have arguably the best college football head coach in history. Yeah. I, why just, why can USC like not be on that same plane? It, just, it is an oversimplification. But it's because USC and Alabama were competing for the most national championships. They really kind of still are. You know, Alabama's got some of those. Oh, this three riders in Missouri said that we're the national championship in 1932. You know, they've got some of those national championships. But they're, you know, you're looking at them as the two preeminent college football programs in the history of college football. I see what he's saying, and I agree with what he's saying. He's saying if USC is a true blue blood that's what a true blue blood would do. And and it also points to where they are now on, on the spectrum, how far USC has fallen. That that's a that's an alpha move. Sure. I how I explained it on Wednesday's podcast was that like Shotgun said, fit was the whole thing we heard about with Drevno. And this is really them selling out for the air raid in Graham Harrell, where in the whole scheme, USC didn't end up here by accident. You know, this is a, keeping Neil Calloway on for too long. Having Tim Drevno as a running backs coach, then you're switching him over to offensive line, and now you're here, and now you're committed to the air raid, so you have to kind of find a air... You're going to commit to the air raid and find an air raid familiar offensive line coach, and those don't come in droves, so you're kind of limited in your options. And so it's one of those things where it makes sense in the vacuum of where USC is right now, but on the grand scheme, I can see how it's lackluster in that sense. Well, I wanted to point it out because I think it's showing the power of the current brand. USC's, I mean, Alabama's able to pull head coaches from NFL teams. You know, and head coaches want to have that rehabilitation, the Nick Saban coach rehabilitation program uh, that, you know, Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin have successfully completed uh, with flying colors and now are doing great in their uh, uh, jobs that they have now. Where you've seen Butch Davis come from Tennessee, you've seen coaches want to go there. It's the spot to be. Whereas USC, it's like, okay, who can we get who fits our style rather than coaches being like, hey, do you guys need an offensive line coach? I can, you know, I can teach air raid really well. You know, instead of, you know, people lining up around the block, which is what happens at Alabama right now. I think that's the difference in the two programs currently. That was what, what I was trying to point out more with is the power of the brand right now. Alabama and USC are supposed to be the two preeminent blue bloods, you know, with the national championships. And right now, Alabama's just so much higher. And a lot most of that, almost all of that's probably just Nick Saban, his power. But when when Pete Carroll was at USC, it was the same thing. Coaches were lining up to, hey, I want to I want to coach with Pete Carroll. I want to learn from him. He's got so much energy. You know, people want to learn from Nick Saban. And that's why I, I put that tweet out there. It's just the the differences in the two two uh, programs right now. Can you baseball this higher? Is it a double? Is it just a little single? Is it a little bloop single? I I, I meant to ask you that at the top, but I, I but I want it and I need it. We need your thoughts, Mr. Trevino. I already gave my thoughts. Wait, no. No, you. I gave my thoughts on the <laughs> nice strike coach. Nice try. I didn't think she was paying attention. I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a very good hire for USC and for this offense. I think it's what they needed. I just wanted to point out the, the difference in the programs. So I think, I mean, it's 
I think he's a good hire, and I think that they're going to do really well with. I don't know. Quit stalling a baseball tournament. For USC and the way they've struggled recently, it's kind of like a single trying to extend it to a double and you get thrown out of second base. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. The Angels fan in me is triggered. So, you know, I, I think it's kind of somewhere in between there. I think it can and probably will work out, but they've got to get talent in there. Add some talent to that. Well, you'd hope that, you know, if you're familiar with the air raid, you kind of know how to do more with less. So, true, and I think the you know the stops he's been at, he's he's been asked to do that. He's been asked to identify characteristics that will work really well in this offense, and I think that's going to be the difference. You know, it's not going to be the traditional like I'm looking for this certain s- skill set. You know, this is what works well when you know your linemen are bunched together. Now we're spreading everything out. What skill sets do we really need to be focusing on, being paying attention to? What techniques do we really have to emphasize? I think those small things, I think, are going to be the difference. And that's why I think USC should be able to run the ball finally next year. I don't know how much success they'll have, but it'll it'll be better than this year for sure. Like you mentioned with the talent, that's kind of the big thing I'm interested in seeing is can he recruit? Um, Because I think – you're rec- when you're recruiting at USC, you're you're even if you're not known as a recruiter, your your status as that gets a little bit of bump because you're where you're recruiting. It's hard to recruit at Texas Tech in Lubbock. It's hard to recruit in Pullman. Uh, it's hard to recruit in East Carolina. So I think you have a chance with higher rated prospects. But he's been a guy who's just been looking for what he needs rather than you know going after the big sexy ranked prospects at offensive line. And this is an interesting case because the 2022 class. USC already has uh, a three-star Dylan Lopez committed. Uh, but there is some big uh, offensive linemen that USC is involved for before uh, Drevno was, you know, they went their separate ways. So I'm interested to see how he approaches the recruiting board that USC had already set up mm-hmm. uh, with these guys. Do they continue? There's a couple of four-stars in Texas thereafter. Obviously, you have Ernest Green right up the street at Long Beach, uh, at Long Beach uh, St. John Bosco, a top 100 prospect. That's a guy you got to keep home. Um, so I'm interested to see how what his re- recruiting board looks like for for the for the guys that USC is already involved with. Uh, they've been involved with the last you know year or so. He has some ties, obviously being at Washington State for a good run. He should have some ties in those Washington offensive linemen, and there's some quality uh, Washington offensive linemen in this upcoming class. So that could be a big boost there. Do they all fit into the air raid system? Those are questions that you know we're gonna have to wait and see. Ernest Green does not like he's not the ideal offensive lineman that you recruit for an air raid. However, like you said, sometimes you've got to just keep certain prospects, you know, home. Now, how do you make them fit within your system? That becomes the big question afterwards. And I, and I was kind of interested in knowing how much Harold was involved in identifying these offensive line prospects. If they were all just like Drevno, like these are the guys I want that don't as we said, fit the air raid or maybe Harold like, Oh, I like this guy. I think this would help us. Um, when, when they were making those offers or extending those offers. So I just wonder if it was like straightly all Drebno guys, or maybe it was like Drebno and Harold guys. They looked at together or. And this goes down to, you know, the Spencer Harris's and the guys that are in that recruiting room. And they, cause they do a lot of the film work looking at identifying. And then they show it to the coach like, Hey coach, this is a guy we think, you know, would be a good fit. And then the coaches, you know, either sign off and say, yeah, let's go after this guy or, you know, whatever there. So uh, I think it comes down to, you know, the identifying, having someone, again, that has the background in the air raid and the skill sets that you're looking for because it's a different skill set. It, it, to me, it's kind of like, 
you know, if you have you run an offense and you're going to throw deep balls to the wide receiver, that's a much different, you know, recruit that you're looking at on the outside as a wide receiver versus if you're going to run, you know, you're looking for a Julian Edelman type because you're going to run a lot of screens, you're going to run, you know, a lot of stuff over the middle. You're going to be recruiting completely different things, obviously, there. So um, I think that that's kind of how I look at the air raid versus, you know, a pro set uh, style offensive lineman, just because of the splits and the different things where you're trying to get outside the outside zone, uh, those type things. So we'll see, you know, how it kind of meshes. That's going to be the big question to me. On the whole, it's interesting to me how he basically has to come in and produce on multiple fronts. He has to take the talent that USC has that needs developing and figure out how all those pieces fit in the starting five, but also probably recruiting for the transfer portal. USC already missed out on Wayne Morris. Are they going to go back into the portal to try and find a tackle to kind of fill in the holes that they have right now? I don't know, but there's going to be a lot on him to get in there fast and, and make good work of, of what he has. You know, what's going to be huge is getting spring ball in. Yeah. And I think this, this would have been huge last year. I think this is one of the issues the offensive line had is because you were moving so many pieces last year. Now, granted, it's the second year in the offense. You should feel like you're a little bit more comfortable, but everyone was in a different position and just not having any practice time. You know, they basically didn't have any practice time until they started fall camp to, to be able to get things down. Um, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker said that's one of the things he thinks the offensive line may actually take off a little bit next year just because they're going to have that extra time and be able to to gel and be in those positions, especially if you leave Voorhees and McKenzie and Nilon and those guys all in those positions they're at, Liam Jimmins. Now, if you move guys around all over the place again, then I think you're you're back to square one kind of. So we'll see what they do on the offensive line there. Who fills in the left tackle? Do you move one of those guys? There's just a lot of different uh, moving pieces there that could happen. But having spring ball and you know the workouts in the summer, the, the you know player run practices, those type things, as we hopefully get clear of the virus, then I think that would be really big for this offensive line going forward. Yeah, no, I agree. In order to keep this even classified as a quick take, I'm moving on to <laughs> – Robert Steiner. Chris, this is something we got your opinion on. So, Shate, what did you think about Steiner? Honestly, I just don't know anything about strength coaches to be able to – how do you really identify, like, that's a really good strength coach? Besides, those dudes look big. Okay, well, he was the assistant strength coach. So, do you credit him? Do you credit the, you know, the strength coach? One of the things I thought was really interesting, and this, again, can go just straight to – Notre Dame's, you know, head strength coach and, and giving him credit, but their numbers um, in the combine, yeah, their numbers in the combine were really, really good. You know, what they call medals. Hey, did you come in first, second, or third with your position group? Uh, they did really well with this new strength staff after uh, Brian Kelly completely revamped his... his the uh, revamped? <laughs> when they completely revamped the staff in one felt swoop rather than... What? Over three years. Um but so if he gets credit for that, then I think it's a good hire. If you say he was just an assistant and he's riding the coattails, then is it, so it's so hard for me to tell just because those aren't guys where you see direct impact on the field. You can't say this position played really well. It's an overall team thing and it's buying in. And when I say that, um, you look at Notre Dame and how well they have produced and how competitive they have been since that four and eight season with Brian Kelly then that tells me you know it's a positive culture, and hopefully that means Steiner can come in and institute the same with USC. Well, to your point, I think that's where his one year at Cincinnati is important in that evaluation because 
the powers that be watched Cincinnati's workouts and saw Steiner mm-hmm. um, in those workouts. So I think that's something where they've actually seen firsthand what he can do. And that was before going to Notre Dame and kind of getting uh, whatever uh, Matt Billis, Bilas, I can't say his name, but whatever he instilled on Steiner. So I think it's interesting. It's an intriguing hire for me because I think it it has the potential to work out, but I also think it's risky in the sense that you're hiring someone who hasn't been the guy at a program before. I really just want Shotgun's thoughts on my pitch of a potential me and him going in the MMA cage. I guess you did not listen to that part on the Tunnel Vision. <laughs> no, I didn't catch the entire Tunnel Vision. He as you and a, Steiner? He as an MMA, former amateur MMA fighter, me mm-hmm. as a second degree black belt, doing a little exhibition, pay-per-view <laughs> style, in the cage. Maybe I'd interview him while it's happening. Or maybe someone, you interview him while it's happen- while he's wailing on me. Your thoughts on that? Did you say you'd interview him while it was happening or while you were tapping? Because that seems more appropriate. <laughs> what What do you think your philosophy is when it comes when it comes to pitch <laughs> And Chris is out. I think it's a great idea. You should make it happen. He also uh, just did a visual bit. I we'll, have to know. We'll, oh yeah, visual bit. We'll video the all forty eight seconds of that. Perfect. I could last less than that. It's, it depends on how big the the octagon is and how right, much, how much can I dance? How much you can much run, can away. Just, yeah, I'm, run away? I'm, I'm squirrely. I'm <laughs> I'm gonna oil myself up. He's not gonna be able to hold me. I'm gonna squirt out of there like a bar of soap. Like whoop. oh goodness, visuals um, I don't want to oh imagine. Describe uh, me a visual bit. the The interesting part is that he leaves Notre Dame when he could have been. You know, if he didn't want to be the the assistant strength coach there, he could have been the hulkiest leprechaun that. Notre Dame has ever had. Swocon. Oh, yeah, exactly. Swocon. Uh, but, yeah, because he's got the red beard and everything. So it'll be it'll be interesting when he comes in. Just the MMA background is interesting because there's a lot of the tackles and stuff there. Uh, can that be implemented somehow? That's a stretch. Uh, yeah, but still. There's, there's different. <laughs> let, him, let him work it out. Let him work it out. There's different techniques, you know, getting guys on the ground type of thing. If you're, you know, shoot those type of, all those type of things. Can those things, shooting at someone's feet to try Got to it. pull I them to the ground. Sorry. Shoot. <laughs> you know, can you implement those things or does the MMA background just not matter at all? You know. Those are things I don't I don't know with a strength coach. I, you know, it's motivation is the biggest thing. And how do you classify motivation with a hire? I think also discipline goes into that. I think you really can establish a culture from your strength and conditioning. And it seemed like there were issues there with Osmus. That's what I've kind of gathered from and see, asking around. You can't see that from afar though. So that's the thing is like that's why I don't know you know, how you assess strength coaches other than what people say about them. And, you know, if people are putting up good numbers, the combine one are kind of the one thing. And obviously USC and Ivan Lewis was really struggling with that. I'm really interested in rehab type stuff. When he comes in, your director of sports performance, that doesn't mean, Hey, you just lift weights. How much can you be involved in keeping USC's players more healthy? Yeah. Cause that's been such a big issue over the last decade. Yeah. I'm going to miss hashtag eating thick. And I look forward to the next hashtag. I wonder what it's going to be. I pointed at you, Chris, because... Swolcon? I like Swolcon. <laughs> but then that's invoking the leprechaun, and that's <laughs> your rival. We talked about Ted Lasso last week, or I guess it was this week. Coach Beard. Yeah. He looks like Coach Beard. Very, very much so. 
I haven't seen it. Sorry. Watch it. It's I think so good, I think you would love it. Yeah, I think he would too. I so you need to watch it. it. I've heard it's really good, but again, that would involve watching TV. You watch like weird reruns of things, so why can't? Yeah, because you... it can be in the background. I don't pay attention to it. Okay, whatever. Well, when I watch new episodes, I have to actually like focus and not be on my computer. When we're I'm watching like, Wandavision every Friday, you watch season two of Jessica Jones. <laughs> I'm on season two of Luke Cage, okay? <laughs> We're so frustrated with you. But, but it's hard to get motivated to watch those at the same time. Just watch the movie. Jeez, maybe that's why we had a better idea for you in your rewatch. Hey. Did you see those eyes? He was about to hey. hurt me. When I go in, I go all in. It might take three years, but he's finish? all in. Do you finish? Like, oh, wow. this is way more than three years now. Wow. What is this, four years? I don't know when it started, but... By the time I finish, <laughs> plus all the new shows coming out. Oh, oh no. Oh, oh gosh. No. Thank God those are after. Oh, true. Are they all after? I don't know. But what anyway, oh, no. I've been more interested in the, the Star Wars universe right now. The Mandalorian is really good. He's all over the place. I think. And so is this podcast. And on that note, any final thoughts, gentlemen, before we wrap this thing up? Again, the Larry Scott news gave me the uh, the defibrillator. To, the to juice. Get, the, to get going back. So now I'm ready to see steps going forward for USC and the Pac-12. Um, you know, I'm excited about basketball still, even though they just lost to, to Oregon State, a very bad loss, which was only coupled by Colorado losing an even worse game at Washington uh, last night to hurt the entire conference's net rankings. But I, I think the basketball team is going to be interesting, so I'm kind of juiced up to, to continue following, covering them this season, and seeing where USC – uh, you know, where USC football goes, you know, if we start seeing some of those games with a new director of football sports performance. Um, football stuff. Yeah, football stuff. We'll see, you know, where exactly they go. You know, spring ball is being pushed back. Do we see some differences when we get to spring ball? You know, when we get out there and finally see you guys, hopefully we get out there. That's another big thing that I'm hoping for. Yeah, that was pretty optimistic of you to assume that. Look, the fibrillator, I'm, you know, got me, giving me life. I'm back, ready to go. I'm wow. being positive again. Let's go. Well done. Chrissy T. I mean, my thing was I am optimistic about finally covering some spring ball in the next couple of months. So I'm excited to see the new changes in place. Um, I think 2021 is going to be a good year. I just feel like we jinxed ourselves, but that's fine. No, no. It's going to be a bad year. Bad year. The first 19 days weren't any good. Let's see what the rest of the year can do. We need to turn around right here. Sure. This was this was very much uh, Steelers beginning of the game playoff. This is how they snap started over the game. The head. Yeah, snap over the game for a touchdown. How are we going to respond now? Come on, twenty twenty one. Let's go. I had to check the roster to see if Lobodon was on the Steelers. I'm not touching that one. <laughs> Neither am I. You can just cut that. <laughs> no, you you said it. You have to own it now, Chris. Okay. <laughs> A little spice at the end. Put a little, <laughs> little pinch of paprika on top of this. A little, little bam at the end. A little bam. A little, little, little salt bed. <laughs> sure. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up. A quick take in the studio. It was fun seeing your guys' faces not in gross uh, internet quality. So there. There you go. Alrighty, that's Shotgun. That's Chris. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next week. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. 
Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount+, Plus to try it free. Terms apply.